Welcome to The Long Box of Darkness, a podcast exploring horror in comic book form. I'm Herman Lowe. And I'm Misty Graves. Join us for a look inside the long box of darkness. Welcome back, constant listeners, to The Long Box of Darkness. This is going to be part two of a very lengthy episode that Misty and I originally recorded. We had to split it up into these two meaty chunks for your enjoyment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had no choice. We couldn't, you know, obviously arrest your ears for five hours straight. But yeah, the first um, episode that we released last week was basically two and a half hours, running close to three hours. This one's going to be considerably less, but uh, we hope you'll enjoy it as much as you hopefully did the first one. So, Misty, how have you been? I've been better. I've been doing better. Um, as you know, the United States has gotten a, a total grip on the situation here. Everything is doing fine. Uh, people are going back to work. Everybody's psyched. Oh my goodness. I just, the sarcasm is so (laughs) jarring. It's like a scalpel in my ear, rooting around in there, like (laughs) rummaging around. Herman, do you get my sarcasm? If you don't, this podcast is over. That's the kind of telepathic (laughs) vibes I get. (laughs) Oh, that's a horror into itself. It is. But, you know, I'm personally doing okay and very um, thankful for that. And. Every day is a new day, you know? Yeah. You know, I want to mention something to you, and I also want to include the listeners into this, of course, because I I feel like we need to explain. We didn't explain completely why we think it's a good idea to talk about, you know, uh, apocalypse-related diseases on on this episode and the the last. But um, basically, you know, obviously everybody's concerned about this kind of stuff. But, you know, you and I... We mentioned this on, our, I think, our Elvira episode. We're of the mind that horror sort of, you know, it helps you deal with situations in real life by offering you a fictional world. And, in, you know, in this case, I think, um, you know, it's it, it bears mentioning that the more fictional the world, the more way out there, um, the more you can sort of experience, you know, this kind of horror, you know, um, and, and get, get a grip on it yourself, even though that horror is still very real in, in our everyday lives. So, um, you know, I'm off the mind. I don't know if you agree with me, Misty, that if you have a, a type of simulation of a, a horrific event running in your mind, mm-hmm. which is often given by fiction or by movies, that sort of makes me feel better. Like after I watch the horror movie, I, I sort of I've dealt with my fears in a weird kind of subconscious level on, on a weird level of the subconscious where I feel better about it. Are you the same or what Definitely. do you think? It just gives me a sense of control to, Mm. like, read horror stories that have a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, You could be done with it. You close the book. Oh, this horror is done. You know? Um, And 
it also is a distraction element of it. It's fantastic. But but uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's like having having control over the horror, the fear. Mm, exactly. That yeah. Is beneficial. Uh, yeah. Something therapeutic about reading horror stories. Yeah. Now, some folks might ask, why you know doesn't this does this not apply to the entire population? Well, I mean. We don't really know why, but, you know, some studies have suggested that people who are more paranoid or who are, you know, more imaginative, they often, you know, think more deeply about certain possibilities and certain situations. And they're normally the ones who have these massive psychological problems when it comes to the future and, and, and um, worrying about their loved ones and about themselves. And they're normally the fans, you know, that, that gravitate towards horror. Because, you know, they have a way of, of using their paranoia and their imaginations and, dare I say it, their intelligence, you know, that runs in that direction to sort of yeah. um, to, to deal with the situation in a simulated form. I mean, I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with the, the X-Men's Danger Room. Uh, you know, that's basically like a, a simulation of, of dangers that can't really touch you in real life. So this is kind of our danger room, Misty. It's a... Perfect. Reading horror, yeah. Looking at horror. I'm ready. That's it. I I like that you mentioned that the simulation of horror because you know how, what nightmares are and dreams are. Yeah. They're sort of like simulations that our, our brain ru runs us through at mm. night to perhaps prepare prepare yeah. us for future events. You know, so just so just so we're prepared, we had a dream about it once. So like. If you ever find yourself having to give a speech naked, you have prepared for that. You know what to do. <laughs> You've oh been there my before, goodness. you know? Yeah, well, yeah. turning up naked to class used to be one of my recurring fears. In dreams only. You know, I never had to do right. it in real life. <laughs> You're right. Wow, I'm prepared for giving a speech naked now because I've had so many nightmares about it. <laughs> and now that we've read Jenny Finn, we are prepared for the Lovecraftian uh, Pirates of the Caribbean STD <laughs> steampunk horror. <laughs> exactly, listeners, listeners. That is going to be the one we're discussing. Uh, Jenny Finn, um, the horror comic put out by Dark Horse in uh, the early aughts but you know obviously they you know as they want to do they like to collect them again and again and again and this one was collected in hardcover in in 2014 and um, that's how we're reading it right Misty I'm reading reading the digital edition you're too you're doing the same but um, it's a story about similar to you know what we discussed before with the Mask of the Red Death about this prevalent disease but it seems to be only gaining a foothold in the small seaside town which, like you say, is decidedly steampunk. Um, it is. Based off of London, but it has a more British flavor than, let's say, for instance, Lovecraft's uh, Innsmouth, which is presumably set in, in um, New England, I think it is. So, you know, it, it does have that British flavor, um, but also uh, this Lovecraftian type of horror associated with this transmogrifying disease which is running rampant and um, turning all of these people into fish-like tentacled monstrosities <laughs> so right up our alley <laughs> <laughs> yeah who who hasn't worried about this happening to them you know <laughs> i've i've definitely been worried about growing scales and you know fishy appendages so yeah so um jenny finn Let's get into this, Misty. 
that's the song. That's the intro. <laughs> I love the, 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 the way that it was building towards this this Armageddon-like crescendo <laughs> at one point in time. Oh, Misty and her, her accordion of the apocalypse, folks. <laughs> yeah, what is it with these sea shanties and these old guys with accordions and, you know, these, what, what did you call them once? Uh, Misty squeeze boxes? <laughs> squeeze boxes, yeah. Yeah, there's something, it's good to set the mood, you know. There's something about a, a squeeze box that really says uh, seaside. <laughs> Seaside town, sleepy seaside town. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you actually <clears throat> captured that moment perfectly because I do feel that the sea breeze is blowing against my face and the smell of fishes in my nostrils. And yeah, you've, you've definitely set the mood and we're, <laughs> we're right there ready for some fish, little fish whispering doom. Oh, oh my gosh. By the way, Misty. I wonder what yeah. they sound like. Are they like doom or like? High pitched. What is the what is the fish talking sounds like? Oh my god, that's ominous. I'm I'm actually getting I'm getting goosebumps, or should we call it fish scales for this occasion? It's happening. We got to mention to the listeners though, Misty, that you know this story is definitely a kind of a ripoff not a ripoff knockoff or a, a homage even to hp lovecraft's the shadow over innsmouth which is one of his most famous tales and um that's what mike Mignola is known for you know mike Mignola obviously co-wrote this with um the artist troy nixie but you know Mignola is good at incorporating a lot of different horror elements established by folks in the past into his Hellboy mythos. Now, this might not be expressly set in that Hellboy universe, but it's definitely set in Mignola's sort of oeuvre, which is playing around with Lovecraft, playing around with steampunk, playing around with, you know, um, uh, sort of apocalyptic scenarios. That's what he always does. I mean, Hellboy himself is known as the beast of the apocalypse. So this is just Mignola dealing with his own you know, psychological predilections in a different way. And um, I don't know, do you like this kind of story where, where you sort of like marry two genres, uh, like steampunk and horror, Misty? Oh, definitely. I think those two genres go together fairly well. I agree. Yeah, especially yeah. in this story. Yeah. Because it almost seems like the only way that humanity has of combating these elder god beings these beings like the beings from the cthulhu mythos nyarla thotep and yog sothoth and those guys that lovecraft coined you know that he wow name dropping much well i mean listen (laughs) these guys they're big deal we're gonna have to talk about them a lot in future episodes because they recur they're like what we discussed earlier with or actually we just we talked about this off mic jack the ripper you know, um, or even let's go back further. Let's say the Frankenstein monster, Dr. Frankenstein, you know, um, Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. They all became a part now of popular culture where they almost they definitely exist independent of the original text that they were in. Lovecraft's entities have done that and they're so difficult to pronounce. But obviously the most famous being Cthulhu. This one, though. Yeah, that, I'm going to have yeah. to practice 
saying those other two. <laughs> <laughs> you Definitely. know, there's like um, a documentary. I think I might have shared the link with you where they, they have these famous folks like John Carpenter, Neil Gaiman and Guillermo del Toro, they, Kathleen Kiernan. They talk about Lovecraft and how Lovecraft influenced them. And every single one of them has a different way of pronouncing the Lovecraftian names of these, <laughs> these elder gods. I mean, Not surprising. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro, he actually sounds like he's coughing when he says Cthulhu. You know, like, Hulu. Hulu. Yeah, lots of, you need a lot of phlegm in your throat to get that just right. <laughs> So, well, it helps if you're a mucousy sea monster, uh, which we have a lot of in this story. <laughs> There's a lot of them. So, Misty, then, um, talking about you know, Jenny Finn, as you know, we always drop the synopsis first. In 19th century London, a strange, flesh-twisting disease is running rampant, ravaging the city's poor and upper classes indiscriminately. Those afflicted find themselves changed in startlingly grotesque ways, with epidermal barnacles and tentacular growths sprouting all over their bodies. The unluckiest among them fall victim to a complete bodily transformation, where they become something other than human, a kind of a mass of writhing tentacles and um, organs, alien organs and other sort of nameless appendages. So we, we touched on this disease before. It's, it's pretty horrific, but now I'm getting into the details here. And then um, we meet some of the characters. Enter Joe. He's a somewhat dim-witted but um, able-bodied country bumpkin. He frequents the local taverns of this seaside town, and he seems to be the only halfway decent guy in town. Because the rest of them seem to be these reprehensible sailor slash, you know, um, I don't know. They're they they're all kind of have this antagonistic feeling towards each other, where they they're they're willing to string up someone in the middle of the town square. Yeah, even the even the townspeople are aren't really that great. Yeah, the sailors themselves are. We'll get into their characters later. They're a bunch of you know, um, you know, basically. They're willing to assault people, you know, on on the high seas. They're very, re- they're very reactionary. These townspeople. That's right. Yeah. And the sailors are terrible. The sailors are terrible. Yes, they're assaulters. Yeah, if you want to call them that, definitely. There's way worse terms that we'll label them with later on. But um, everybody seems to have this sort of this evil, this potential for evil. Whereas Joe, he's just this innocent guy who's trying to do the right thing. And he happens upon this little girl called Jenny Finn, whom he immediately feels protective towards because she's walking in this, what he considers to be this dangerous part of town. And um, he sort of tries to make her acquaintance um, for what seems to be the purpose of just uh, escorting her out of this these dangerous you know, alleyways. And then um, he, then suddenly the story goes into a completely bizarre direction where he is attacked by this old man and he's in fact beaten up by this old guy who seems to be on the hunt for the devil and he's settled on Jenny Finn as um, this this titular devil and then um, he sort of uh, the crowd enters into the fray and saves Joe 
and they string up this old man and he's hung from a tavern sign um, basically mob justice right Misty and then um, we meet the yes, yeah. but it is Joe's fault because he sees the old man going for Jenny Finn and thinks that oh oh wait we're not to that part yet well, the story kind of does a little loopy thing. Yeah. Well, that doesn't do a loop. Does it do a loop? It does. It does. It does. does it mean, do? Okay. So right. um, we'll get to that. But, you know, during the synopsis, there's a lot of places that I'm kind of jumping back and forth from because there's characters that are being introduced that if you talk about them later on, you don't know why they're in there. So I'm going to, I for instance, the prime minister, he plays a big role in this. He's only introduced a little bit. He's introduced early on. But then, you know, later on, he plays a bigger role. So I'm going to talk about him right now. Uh, this this is where the steampunk uh, element comes in, right, Misty? Where this, this prime minister, you know, uh, he's very uh, practical. He goes around with his squad, you know, investigating stuff like, like a practical kind of Sherlock Holmes-esque character. He doesn't just sit in his office and delegate. So there's this earlier part in the beginning of the the comic where the this one this one client of the the prostitutes the as they call them in the story whores, which is you know just the way they probably spoke about these ladies back then, uh, where the prime minister goes into this brothel and he sees the results of this one client who completely morphed into this tentacle tentacled monstrosity and then he asks the the prostitutes around like why did this happen and some of them say that you know that he, he had contact the client had contact with a little girl called Jenny Finn now what do you make of this Misty does this mean Jenny Finn was actually we'll, we'll get into her origin later which is recapped in an, uh, a later part of the book but does this mean she was actually she came to the town and then started being a, a prostitute herself or or because yeah. she was obviously in the brothel that's oh, wait maybe that's what they said oh. at least which which is weird because later when we get into our origin, we're going to discuss what, what happened to her and how this disease might spread. But that, that struck me as strange because she looks like a little girl, listener. She's drawn yeah. like a 13-year-old. The spread of this disease I was picturing was from the incident in the beginning of the story hmm. and then people just kind of giving it to each other. Yeah. How is this disease spread? How do people get the uh, Pirates of Car- the Caribbean herpes, face herpes? Well, like, how does this? How do they spread it to each other? You see, this is this is my theory. Um, the women in the story are not affected. They are carriers, though, the prostitutes. And um, later we we encounter a character which is an analog of Jack the Ripper, whose intent is to actually discover the reason for this, because he's probably sussed out that these men who have frequented these brothels, they've slept with these prostitutes, and then they are the ones afflicted with this transmogrifying, you know, affliction. So what that means is the women, though, Jenny Finn feels sympathetic towards them because it seems that she's not spreading the disease among them. She's allowing them to spread it among the men who wronged her in the well during her origin story which we should probably get to soon listeners but that's just what i think i don't know how you feel about that misty but it seems like i I can't remember any of the women actually being you know transformed into these fish-like creatures do you remember that no no 
I don't. I didn't, I didn't see any female characters turning into, uh, you know, these the, monstrosities. The, <laughs> yes, yeah, the name of the. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, hold on, I have to like Google it really quick. <laughs> what is the name of the captain on the Pirates of the Caribbean Horn. ship? Uh oh, um, Tortuga. No, no, the wait. That's the the name of the. Well, this this Captain Jack Sparrow, and then the other guy is Captain. Oh, Davy Jones is the 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 guy with the tentacles on his face, the tentacle beard. We've got Hector Barbarossa. Oh, Barbarossa! Barbarossa, he was my Barbarossa. favorite. Barbarossa, yeah. Barbarossa, Oof, what a Barbarossa. name! Barbarossa, yeah. Love him. So, yeah. Yeah. He... Gives you the. Let's call let's call it the Barbarossa. It okay. gives you the Barbarossa. It gives you the Barbarossas. Okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> let's go with that. So, right. you know, these men seem to get this Barbarossa, whereas the ladies are, they walk off scot-free, but not completely because this makes them targets of this Jack the Ripper figure. But, you know, <clears throat> to go on with the synopsis, Joe, you know, he is beaten up by this old man. And then we meet the prime minister who's investigating this, the, the root of this disease. And they determine that it's a girl called Jenny Finn, the very Jenny Finn that Joe um, met in the market or on that street where you have all these fish sellers selling these weird uh, fish that they've recently netted in the sea that seems to be able to talk, right, Misty? And they keep whispering these prophetic doom. Oh, that's brilliant. I can't do it that well. I'd spray the microphone with saliva if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after that, basically what happens is uh, events just sort of sort of start steamrolling. Um, Joe then discovers that there's a killer roaming the streets at night who's eviscerating these prostitutes. And um, then jo- we meet another friend of Joe's who's a, a little flower seller called Miss Platt. And she seems to be crushing on Joe something fierce. Um, and she sort of tries to kind of help Joe out by taking him to this seance, this spiritualist society where this um, Madame Zolotsky calls up these ghosts. And one of the ghosts that are being called up is this um, the, the ghost of this dead old man who tried to, you know, kill Jennifer in, in the street and was foiled by Joe in the crowd and then obviously strung up and murdered. So they talk to this guy's ghost, and then we get into Jenny Finn's origin. So apologies, listeners, that's a long-winded way of finally getting to who this character of Jenny Finn is, uh, this eponymous character that the story is named after. Now That's um, right. So the story does do a loop because right. you don't find out about Jenny Finn's origin, which is like sometimes they put that in the beginning of a story, you know, but yeah, you don't find right. out about it until a little ways into this. Story. Yeah, it's left to, to be a bit of a mystery until we finally, you know, find the means of the sand. So this this lady, this Miss Platt, the flower seller, did in fact help Joe because now Joe is, uh, since he's the main character, or, or the, the protagonist in the story, other than Jenny Finn, who's sort of the antagonist. Joe is sort of learning, you know, he's going through his own little bit of a, a hero's journey where he's learning about the origin of the evil before he eventually has to face it. So that's very traditional, but that's not the way the story plays out. In your typical horror fashion, there's a bit of a twist at the end. But Misty, do you want to recount Jenny's origin for us? Because I think you can do it really well with your powers of description and oh. <laughs> your bent towards horror. <laughs> um, sure. So, uh, 
so some gross old guy sailors are out at sea and they're getting fish and they haul something horrifying up onto the deck of the ship and it is a writhing mass of tentacles and particles and it doesn't really look like anything it's kind of like if you were to use meat glue like if you chop up a Uh. bunch of different types of seafood and then you like mix it all in a bowl with meat glue and then you just like let it harden i don't know if you know what meat glue is but there's such a you know what? Yeah, meat meat glue. Just that phrase, right? That, that's right? horrific in itself. But, oh God, seafood <laughs> so, plus meat. Glue. Yeah, Ugh. you're getting it. You're getting yeah, it. I'm getting that visual, <laughs> and I wish I didn't. I want to scrub my brain with some sandpaper. Thank you very much. Ha <laughs> <laughs> So now we're on the same page of what this thing looks like. Mission accomplished, Misty. <laughs> Thank right, you. Right. So much. like, <laughs> the captain, he doesn't want to just toss it overboard, even though everybody's like what the hell is this uh he's like let's see if there's any you know oil we could get maybe there's some good barnacles (laughs) we could fry up later so he doesn't let them throw it out so they they chop it all up and as they're cutting it as they're cutting it open they cut it open and in the belly of the beast is jenny finn and she's a, a young naked woman and she's sleeping or just like in hibernation um, and all of these uh, lecherous, old, Ugh. decrepit <laughs> rapists, seamen, sea rapists, yeah, pedophiles, really. They get, yeah, uh, they get one thing on their mind, as the ghost describes it, and the the ghost, what is his name? Old Hornby, oh. yeah, old Hornby. Hornby. Sailor Hornby, old Sailor Hornby, he disagrees. He's like, you guys are gross. This is bad. You shouldn't do that. Uh, But they throw him in the hold and they do what they will. And they throw him in the ship's holding cell or prison. Is that called a hold? Yeah, it's called a hold. That's right. They throw him in the hold. And when he comes out of the hold, he starts noticing that the sailors are growing tentacles out of their faces and barnacles on their arms and they essentially they all are getting the barbarossa as uh sort of like a lovecraftian vengeance for what they Mm. did to jenny upon finding her that's right perhaps perhaps a form of vengeance perhaps just the beginning of something bigger yeah no i okay that's that's much better than my summary which i'm looking at now wistfully because it'll never reach the ears of the listeners after your summary of what (laughs) these events oh but they're so horrific you know the way you describe them still um you know what what you mentioned is true it seems that it's left a little bit ambivalent uh, or ambiguous i should i should say because we don't know exactly why um you know jenny was um you know, in the fronds of this kind of like alveoli-like structure um, in the middle of this mass of the sea creature that they captured. It could be that it spontaneously generated her because after all, it is hinted at that it might be an elder god and this is its revenge. So Jenny is its sort of flaming sword sent to take revenge on these people who took it out of its habitat and killed it. Or it could just be that it was just waiting for this to happen to, to sort of 
pass the torch onto an avatar that it had created so that it could initiate the coming of the great old ones because what this literally is is basically you're not just changed into this monstrosity by Jenny you're literally being controlled by her your your mind is now hers um or or what do you think misty I, at least that's what i got from it like everybody turns into zombies that seems to be um sort of subservient oh. to jenny i honestly didn't see it that way i was like seeing mm-hmm. them as just being really psyched to be fish people and they were like <laughs> yes. i don't feel any pain anymore like sure i look horrifying but i feel really good and uh, I'm very thankful to my new god, Jenny Finn. Thanks, Jenny Finn. Okay. You know, maybe... and so they wave to her as she walks by. They're like, "Hey, what's up, my new god?" You know, <laughs> like, "Thanks for making me a fish person." I don't know. I feel. I felt like. Mm, I felt like they grateful. were still sentient. You know, like they still retained some personality of who they were before, but they were just like now, kind of almost elevated or enlightened to a new level okay maybe you're right yeah it's probably better to look at it that way because now that you mentioned that i'm thinking of one of the characters who's an old beggar called mr top and jenny sort of shows him a kindness by giving him some pennies um, as he's begging and we can see he's already well you know on in his transformation he's already almost completely changed into this this fish person and he in fact does act independently you know, of Jenny. He later on gives advice to Joe about the Ripper, about, you know, this Jack the Ripper figure. So yeah, you're right. There's not, it's not as if they're all mindless zombies now. But the ones on the boat, I think being the targets of her immediate revenge after they raped her, I think they were definitely, well, they were content to just let the ship burn itself down and take them with it. Um, I have a question for you. Do you think this all any of this would have happened if those sailors would have just kept their gross dicks in their pants pardon my french (laughs) i'm not sure how to say it i'm not sure how else to say it just go the direct route (laughs) i think the direct route is better because that is literally what happened uh, listeners it's it's implied but it is implied to such an extent that there's no other way around it and it seems that that is how jenny transmits this disease through through sex and I think she can also control it to to a degree. So I'm I would like to believe that that is her vengeance, definitely. And if okay. they did not rape her, then maybe um, she would have been sort of like a Christ-like figure that preaches the gospel of Dagon or or whoever this fish god is. I think they mention it's Oannes, who's a Mesopotamian deity. But you know, basically, he's Dagon. You know, you know. We'll, we'll get into that later. But Lovecraft speaks a lot about these fish gods, which he appropriated from mythology sometimes, Misty. He didn't always create his own, you know, um, drunken names, which sounds like most of the time. <laughs> he sometimes used, a, you know, a, a obscure god from ancient myth, such as Dagon. And um, uh, basically, I think that, you know, she might have still sort of tried to, to, to infect the world, but... I think yeah. she saw the evil of it and she decided to go, you know, full on, okay, let's get rid of these these bastards and yeah, keep the women she's safe. like, these people need help. Like, these people need my help. They need my awesome fish disease to enlighten them, to take away their pain, and then we can all just have a peaceful society together. My awesome fish disease. What the hell? <laughs> 
Well, that's basically what happens, listeners. <laughs> I couldn't put it, put it more succinctly because, yeah. So I, I'm in full agreement there where, where I think you obviously intimated that, yeah, it's a, it's a form of aggressive, um, you know, vengeance, but also in, in a religious sense. It's sort of, you know, putting people to the, to the sword if they don't conform to your religion or changing them into these. Because there are two ways of morphing, right, Misty? The one way is to completely lose yourself and become a complete alien monstrous blob of, of <laughs> tentacles. And those those seem to be the, the most immediate recipients of her vengeance because the, 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 the one we meet in the beginning presumably was a client of hers in the brothel. And he might have, you know, oh, since yeah, that's right. Yeah, since he's a yeah. client, he's one of the bad guys, you know, because he makes use of those services. Although we we should mention, not all people who you know obviously go to brothels and you know <laughs> solicit the services of the prostitutes are bad. But I think Jenny sees them as that now because they are only out there for you know to to satiate their lecherous desires, and I think that's what she associates with the rape, and um, she's gonna take care of those sickos one way or another so i i'm in agreement with you that this was definitely her trying to make the world a better place in in her own way okay so she sort of sends like a ripple effect out into the sex workers throughout the town of any man that sleeps with the sex worker in the town turns gets the barbarossa and explodes into fish guts yeah that's basically that's, that's exactly what happens yeah <laughs> all right, but all right, it doesn't all right. it doesn't happen to the folks she favors though like old tom the beggar they are they receive the gift of gradual change but also they retain their their minds basically they can still interact with with folks but they're like you say more enlightened they feel that they've transcended to a level of evolution almost which is superior to that of the rest yeah. of the scumbag rapists that seems to, you know, populate this town. Now, <clears throat> the biggest, the, the three biggest elements, obviously being Jenny Finn, and then you've got the protagonist, Joe, who's sort of, he serves more as a, as just the common man's view of what's happening here, because he's from the countryside, and he's just attributing all of this to just weird city shit <laughs> that's happening. <laughs> Boy, the city sure is a weird place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You're gonna yeah. have to. We're gonna have to do a whole show where you do do voices of horror characters, Misty. Because <laughs> I may just throw them in every once Why in not? a while. Surprise you know, me. If I'm feeling up to it, depending <laughs> on how many hard seltzers I've I've had or whatnot. <laughs> so you've got those folks, and then you've got the one she favors, and then you've kind of got the other elements at play here which is one of them being this hornby guy who's who sort of serves more as a link to the past to explain jenny's origin um and but then two very important factors come into play uh, which i identify i don't know if you would agree with this misty but as the prime minister who's sort of the force of of the rule of law um Mm -hmm. you know uh to 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 keep things you know um conforming to the law of what whatever they have in this town and to investigate and to discover and to sort of um, stop whatever is happening, but also to turn that towards their benefit, uh, which we'll see later on. And then you've got oh, yeah. this, yeah, something powerful. It's like, oh, there's something powerful. Uh, we must have that for for the state. <laughs> yeah, they, they they might be wanting to weaponize it. I mean, we don't know their relationship with other 
city-states. I'm presuming this is a city-state because it's a small town, but they've got a prime minister. So this yeah. must be a city-state. And they might be, you know, uh, in on, on some kind of warlike footing, you know, with other city-states. They might be looking for, wep- you know, weaponizing this disease. Who knows? But um, the point is they want to turn it towards, you know, an advantage for them. So they want to, they don't want to completely wipe it out. They want to study it. They, they're very scientific based. They, they have the steampunk technology, which seems to mostly consist of these robotic suits. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, they, the, I, I think their means of travel is through these, these air balloons or these airships, uh, which is a staple of steampunk you know, fiction sometimes. And then they also seem to be able to manipulate, ener- uh, you know, electrical energy, um, uh, you know, in to weaponize that, um, sort of like Tesla arcs that they shoot out of these these knobs that they carry around. <laughs> and, you know, so they've, they've definitely got science to combat this strange disease that has now encroached upon their ordered but horribly, you know, uh, horrible little seaside town. And then you've got another element at play, which is this serial killer who I think I'm going to let you talk about him a lot because there's something decidedly different about him. He is a Jack the Ripper analog, but whereas Jack the Ripper was considered to be an anatomist, a surgeon maybe because of his fantastically precise, you know, um, evisceration and anatomical knowledge of these women he killed in in London, this guy is different. He's, he has the same amount of skill, but not necessarily because of a medical background. So, uh, Misty, what did you think about this character, this Ripper called, um, I think his name is Mr. Schlackhorn. Schlackhorn, what a name. Schlackhorn, yeah. I mean, what well, what are you going to tell us about him? This guy wants to be a famous artist, and his name is Schlackhorn. <laughs> that's and not going to work. that's all you need to know, right? He's like, it's not going to work because nobody wants to say your name. Like, sorry, man. So... <laughs> What he, what he resorts to is killing uh, the sex workers in the town um, instead of, well, he's also painting, I suppose. I'm looking for the part, I'm looking for the part in the story where he's got this awful, awful line that he says. Oh, yeah, I, I, rem- I, I recall something about that, yeah. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's on... Yeah, it's already like uh, near the end, I think, <clears throat> where basically what what happens is Joe encounters him early on. While you're finding the page, uh, Misty, I'll tell the listeners what happened. Joe encounters him early on because he follows the images, the after images of some ghosts, which seems to be the ghosts of the murdered prostitutes. Because, you know, right from the start of the story, we have, we're privy to these newspaper headlines, which is obviously, you know, uh, being given to us through these paper boys, these panels involving paper boys selling newspapers, and we see this uh, headline saying "Slasher still at large." So they call him the Slasher. I'm more apt to call him the Ripper because <clears throat> he's definitely in the Jack the Ripper mold. And then Joe encounters him just by chance by following these prostitutes down this alley, and he meets this well-to-do gentleman with this cane that has a fish head, <laughs> fish motif which we'll get to later. This is all connected, listeners. And then, you know, later on, Joe is in fact kidnapped. Well, he's actually lured towards the studio of Mr. Schlackhorn, and then he's uh, captured. So um, have, have you managed to track down that line yet? I found the page, and you know how I knew it was the page? How? It is, 
Mr. Schlesh, Schleck, Mr. Mr. Schleckhorn's mustache. His mustache. I found it because his mustache is. It's insane. This is a prize-winning steampunk mustache, friends. Podcast friends. Holy I don't. Moly. I I can't think of anyone in in history that this might compare to, other than I mean, this is not even on par with Stalin or Rasputin's <laughs> mustaches because this one has a life of its own. It curls up in weird tentacular fashion, but also it it sort of goes sideways where it's defying yeah. gravity. I don't know. I mean, how would you describe this thing? This mustache that has a life of its own. <laughs> It, it it it's almost indescribable. It's, it is like the rings of Saturn floating around this <laughs> jaw. It is uh, uh, floating as if it were underwater, as if the air were water. Mm. And it's about the at the at its longest, it's probably four or five inches long. Um, yeah, it's insane. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this. It's just an epic mustache, so that's how I found this page where Joe finds this artist slash ripper and who is murdering the horse. Exactly, and the worst line uttered in the entire comic, the most reprehensible bit of dialogue that um, I think you and I have come across. I think you you found that right. Uh, can you read that for us? It's so terrible, <laughs> listeners. Listen to this. Just listen to this. Joe says, "What's this all about?" And the or maybe he says that in a more innocent way because he's like more of a country bumpkin. So he's like, what's this all about? <laughs> <laughs> I doubt the British country bumpkin spoke like that, but whatever. <laughs> okay. So the artist says, you saw my big painting, Oannes, who a million years ago rose from the sea to bring culture, law, and the principles of geometry to the man apes. <laughs> and he goes, apes? And he goes, we are the apes. Because, <laughs> you know, he's so smart and so, like, intelligent. And he's mm. just, like, a brilliant artist. So he continues. But Oannes promised that one day, when we were ready, he would send us his own child. She would complete his work. She would elevate us to a higher state of being. The great old men of the temple say that she will come out of the sea and will live a while among the lowest of the low until her special nature is discovered. Ooh. Then, yeah, her special nature. Special nature? Oh, that sounds... Until her special nature. Yeah, that's very, very disturbing. And, and remember, listeners, how does he tr- determine th- this special nature? He cuts open women and displays their reproductive organs for the world to see so this is this is what he means by that horrible and he continues he continues then she will be brought up to sit at the right hand of power oh yeah yeah that's right yeah i'm having a hard time getting into this character i don't know why i'm just like i can't really do this character he's too evil for me yeah he's very disturbing (laughs) i think intentionally so obviously but very he's sort of like mignola's version of what he thinks the Jack the Ripper would would have been like, which is so alien to human comprehension, because obviously this guy's you know messed up in more ways than one, psychologically and you know maybe spiritually and and all kinds of things that that 
that are you know at play in his psyche and um how could you comprehend yeah. someone like that it's like you know jeffrey dahmer or you know um Charles Manson, all of those guys, they're very hard to get a grip on because they're so alien to us, right, Misty? You know what? I think about Jack the Ripper and I think about that time in history and how medical advances were being made and it often was through experimentation on cadavers. Yeah, or even unwilling experimentations, well, on the part of the patient by women who had been committed to asylums because of hysteria, you know, which was considered a female disease. And they more often than not, those people were given up by their families, you know, for you know basically permanent, you know, experimentation and their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, that would have been me had this been 200 years ago. That totally would have been me. I would have been committed like many years ago. Just, you know, like there were simple things like uh, learning math or speaking back to your husband too much, you know, just like they could just have you committed because they felt like getting a younger wife you know they're just you had no power they're just like no it's exactly the way like even the smallest deviation in behavior which could have been the result of depression or it could have been the result of diabetes back then you know that would have caused the, the the husband or the family to commit the women to the mental institution and then they did horrible experimentation on them they obviously did shock therapy they did you know trepanning which is sort of inserting a drill into their brains. You know, all of this kind of horrible things. And um, for the flimsiest of reasons, like you mentioned, Misty. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad you didn't live 200 years ago or 100 years ago because... So am I. Um, I would choose... Yes, so, so Joe says, you carved up all those women looking for... And the, the artist finishes his sentence her special nature. I don't know why I have to say that in a Southern accent. Her special, there's something about it that seems very like a person who wants to talk about sex, but doesn't want to like say any dirty words, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. He's definitely a type of a, he, he, this guy is, he's definitely repressed or he's a bit of a gynophobe as well. He, yeah. he hates women, but he's also, he fears their sexuality. So he talks about this, he demonizes it. And I think you're right when, when you, you know, say that that the fact that he he's afraid but you know he's trying to attempt in his own way to describe sex and and how he how he abhors it which is probably the reason he's targeting these women but also we'll find out later it's actually tied to something you know beyond him but we'll get into that so uh, missy is there anything more you want to say about this absolute scumbag this lowest of the low of villains that we've so far done on this podcast there were those who felt the job should be done by a medical man i tell you it will take an artist to recognize the messiah in the guts of a street whore holy moly that is an evil line this guy i'm telling you have we in a few short panels we're introduced to him and he's probably the most evil fuck i've ever met or seen on the page. Right. And right after that, he starts beating the crap out of Joe with brass knuckles. Boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. I mean, you why? You see his face back and forth, just like <laughs> not, uh, snot and spit flying out. Yeah, this is horrible. <laughs> I, I mean, this guy, I mean, why would an artist have brass knuckles lying around? It, 
other than the fact that he might use some blood splatter or something sometimes to make some of his art, this is definitely within his kind of, um, you know, uh, what he would be up for because he seems to be in all of this depraved kind of art. I mean, doesn't he pay Miss Platt to pose for him naked? And um, that's where his knowledge of anatomy comes from, if I'm not mistaken, Misty, because, you know, he's an artist, but he studied female anatomy through these naked portraits of women that he's done for years and years. And yeah, that's why, you know, he's not a medical man. (laughs) Like he says, this is a job for an artist. Oh, and that disturbs me because, I mean, Misty, you're an artist. How, How does it feel to have someone equate your profession with with this horror it's it's like it's disturbing there's there's something when somebody is an expert at one thing where they think they can be an expert at another thing you know there's like a certain kind of person where they're like well i'm a really great oil painter so i'm probably a really great surgeon Maybe he is a good artist. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> some, this guy is epic. In He's certain epic circles, artist. in certain circles, right, I'm yeah. sure you know. <laughs> hey, you know, everybody's got their you know, likes and dislikes when it comes to art. Who knows? There might be some art out there right at this moment which focuses on art as pain, art as you know, uh, bodily, you know, um, mutilation. Who knows? But that that stuff right. is just not for me, obviously. But even as a horror fan. That stuff's too real. It's like, you know, body... I can say, if you are going to do art as body mutilation, um, consent is important. Very. (laughs) The issue here is more like, these women did not consent to be a part of this guy's art project. You know? (laughs) They did not sign up for this. They did not answer a Craigslist ad. This guy just (laughs) involuntarily... uh, was like you are now part of my artistic experiment to discover god yeah it seems almost like you know his his passion for this project is killed if the women do participate because this miss platt this this halfway to their girlfriend of of joe or wannabe girlfriend at least she volunteers to pose nude for him you know and then he doesn't kill her he in fact lets her go so he seems to get the a kick out of obviously the fact that these prostitutes are murdered against their will which most murderers do get a kick out of so he's very selective obviously in his choices of victims but um you know that's what most of them do get a kick out of it's the fact that there is no consent that the victim is completely helpless right misty and it's not just murderers it's also those sick sadistic you know um molesters out there um like the sailors the sailors we discussed in the beginning the assaulters yeah it's it's about power definitely Definitely exercising power over someone, you know, a victim. So, um, you know, I think this guy. Hmm? It reminds me of like when he. So, so like they're whores that he's killing. And we were talking about earlier uh, if it is transmissible through sex. And that's probably why he's targeting just sex workers. Because like when I first read this. I was wondering uh, why he was targeting sex workers and like, okay, because it's just the sex workers that are, he thinks are um, transmitting this, the Barbarossa. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what he's looking for. He's looking, he's 
killing the sex workers because he thinks there's like some biological thing inside of them that is transmitting this Barbarossa disease to the the seaside town. Yeah, and then you know this comes into play. Obviously, his own psychosis is is one of the reasons for this. But he seems to be a part of a secret society, which sort of could be linked to the Freemasons. But um, more probably to the Order of the Golden Dawn, you know, which was an actual society in the, in the Victorian era where you have these rich folks who were bored and they wanted to explore, you know, ancient mysteries and alchemy and, and spiritualism. And um, uh, Lovecraft, too, I think in The Shadow Over Innsmouth, he has a, a, a he, he mentions the esoteric Order of Dagon, which is sort of a cult worshipping the god Dagon and his eventual coming out of the sea. To, to rule, you know, humanity. And so this is a secret society that the Ripper belongs to. It seems that the Prime Minister in his steampunk getup also belongs to the secret society. And, um, you know, we learn this right after Joe is sort of saved from the Ripper's attentions because he's been torturing him. Jenny Finn suddenly enters the fray. Now, I want you to speak on this a little bit, Misty. Why is there a connection between jenny finn and joe is do you think it's because he saved her from the the hornby guy in the beginning or is it because she's in love with him i don't know it seems that it's she's such a good question it's such a good question i mean i she... think it, it could perhaps be like a innocence thing like he's like this country bumpkin and he just feels like it's the right thing to do when he sees her when he first sees her he's like what's a nice little girl doing like like that doing in a town like this <laughs> prostitute alley <laughs> exactly and like seaside uh, murder whore prostitute alley yeah it's, it's, so oh, he just God. follows her in a way um to protect her innocence which that could be like a trope perhaps like a a, a protector guy yeah he's like a younger girl and it's like i need to protect you yeah you well know? yeah he's on his hero's journey which is oftentimes yeah. you know uh, the hero in i don't know if you've ever read you know anything about you know the buildings roman sort of uh, kind of style of storytelling but there's a hero who normally saves someone and then that someone becomes attached to him so joe sort of saved her from hornby even though she didn't yeah. she she probably needed saving because it seemed that hornby was the only person unaffected by her because up until that time it looked like all of the townspeople already knew who she was she had sort of insinuated herself into the town but amiably because people you know they didn't accost her you know violently on the street like joe thought they would they in fact almost the crowds almost parted like she was some celestial walking amongst them and um you know they were probably afraid of her oh that too fear plays into it big time because most of them are men and they might have had this subconscious kind of uh, intimation of what was going to happen to them if they mess with her. Who knows? I mean, it might also be the fear response triggered by instinct because she's deadly to the males. And, um, yeah. I just don't think... I, I, I You know, Joe, I don't, I, think, I don't think he's in love with her. He does, definitely has this sense of a protector. But Jenny seems to yeah. give off a vibe that she feels something for Joe other than just affection. I don't know. That's just what I got. She she turns up at the artist's house to save Joe from a horrible death, you know, which would be artistically rendered probably by this this deranged monster. And then, you know, she does she saves him in spectacular fashion because that 
guy, the artist, Mr. Schlackhorn, he's completely transmogrified into the most horrible Lovecraftian blob ever uh, in the matter of a couple of seconds. Right, Misty? So she gets revenge on him. And then he in turn sort of gets revenge on her because she's then captured by the members of his order, uh, the prime minister and his cronies. But um, I think she feels something for Joe other than just affection and sort of a, a type of love. Uh, we, we see that in the end, which we'll discuss later on. You, you know Maybe what it's I'm because to. Joe's not a rapist. That's the easiest explanation. He's the only yeah. guy in this town <laughs> halfway decent enough to respect women. And um, yeah. it's, it's terrible to think that, you know, back then it, it really was like that. Most of the men did not respect women. Obviously, for reasons you've mentioned, the patriarchy well, was more powerful back the, then. Right. It was just it was very cultural, and yeah. I'm sure it, it wasn't a monolith. There's probably guys back then, not to like not all men in the 18th century or whatever, but you know. Yeah. No, yeah. It was it, like we were talking about. You could just throw your wife in a mental institution <laughs> yeah. if you wanted to like have sex with your donkey. You know. Oh like, my god. Oh. What? <laughs> You know, you don't want her talking about it to the your business friends, so <laughs> Yeah, that's why they just have You could just committed. have her committed and just be like, She's crazy. I don't know, she keeps talking about me having sex with our donkey and she's totally lying. Just you know lock her up, throw away the key. <laughs> this is this have you watched Penny Dreadful? This is a bit of an aside. I have. Oh, you like it? I love Penny Yeah, it's so good. I mean, it's um that so there's good. a there's a section that deals with that, you know, when um Miss Miss Ives is committed to to mm-hmm. the the insane asylum, and she has to deal with her own demons. But of course, there's a supernatural element. Still, it deals with that Victorian era, you know, view of hysteria and women being subjected to this horrible medical treatments in insane asylums. Wow. Um. So you know, this is very <laughs> apt because you know that that's how they exercise power, and and probably that's also what this artist is thinking, right? By being able to medically examined through you know um ripping open the cadavers of the women he's murdered he's trying to gain some form of power over this disease right misty because this disease is uncontrollable it's only affecting the men and he's taken it upon himself he's sort of like a he's broken from the order almost um i think a little bit because oh this what this order is though it seems to go way beyond the reaches of this little town because on his wall in his studio, we see some portraits that he has presumably done of members of the order. One of them turns looks like Rasputin to me. You know the the you know who Rasputin is. Obviously, the the advisor yeah. to the Romanovs, and he was purported to be a magician, and and uh, he's wearing a a weird tentacles cap <laughs> on his head, meaning that he's part of this esoteric order of Oannes. Um, what do you think about that, Misty? Like, is did he break from the order, or or did they sanction this? Did they say, okay, go out there, discover the roots of this disease by cutting open open the women of the night? I don't know. Uh, I think he's a rogue. I think he's Maybe. kind of a rogue character in with the order. That's not usually how. Well, I don't know. Now that I I was just gonna say that's not usually how the state does things. But I'm like, what am I talking about? That, of course, that... they have like. Is the, the way they do. and stuff, yeah. Of course, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, maybe, but we don't I'm know. I'm not sure, yeah. But, you know, I think this the, the fact that the Prime Minister did not know the whereabouts of, you know, uh, Joe and Jenny, 
Well, I mean, okay, they were hunting Jenny. They weren't hunting Joe. I think he wasn't on the prime minister's radar. But um, the, the prime minister did, in fact, later turn up at the artist's home just as, you know, he was morphing into this creature. And then he they kidnapped Jenny, right? So just the lack of communication between the prime minister and, you know, Schlackhorn suggests that he might have gone rogue, like you say. But... Mm-hmm. But just look at that image um, where he's been changed. Just before they zap Jenny with these Tesla arcs, um, there's an image where you see what happened to the artist. I mean, he's got a crab claw, but he's still in his clothes. <laughs> he's got tentacles and there's fish. There's some really great sound effects, too. Schlitch. Schlitch. Gloop. 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 And yes, in the previous page too, Slup Gluk, that seems to be sort of also uh, the, the sound effects associated with the transformation itself, which is, oh, and just him moving across the floor because he's now this amorphous piece of flesh. Oh, gross. It wouldn't be a good comic if it didn't have really good sound effects. That's, well, like we, you know, mentioned in our Mask of the Red Death episode. I, I don't think this this comic would be able to get close to that though, but. Corbin's got the handle on sound effects, but we'll attempt to to convey some more in the future, right, Misty? This I love one? it. It's an art form. Describing sound, that's, that's a total art form. Oh, definitely. I agree, especially on the pages of comics. I mean, where else would you find it? I, I can't think, but... I mean, obviously, art in the sound effects in movies is a whole different thing. You know, that's art in itself. But this is different. This is like visually portraying sound. Yeah. And your mind fills in the rest. Yeah. It's pretty good. Now, at this point in the story, listeners, we get to the the point where Jenny's kidnapped and she's taken to this uh, esoteric order of Dagon. And then Joe is left to fend for himself, but he's helped by a guilty Miss Platt who feels guilty that she lured Joe to this artist's studio to basically have him murdered. And Joe sort of kind of forgives her. But then the artist changes. Did you notice that, Miss, uh, Missy? At first, the first three issues were done by, by Troy Nixie, obviously. And then, you know, the art takes a drastic change and we see Farrell Dalrymple, another artist, enter the fray. He's also a good artist, but he doesn't give me the same kind of eerie, creepy, you know, feel to his art. I mean, it's also very distorted and, you know, um, art crumb kind of looking, but not on the level of Troy Nixie. I, I think it's just because I got so used to Troy Nixie doing the story and then it was a little bit jarring to have suddenly Farrell Dalrymple step in with this different kind of art style. How did you feel about that that sort of disruption? You know what? I didn't even notice. <laughs> well, it's very similar. I should have... But now that you say that, I'm looking... I'm, like, going page one, page two, page one, page two, like, going back. And, yeah, uh, their stuff is definitely a different art style here. Um, it is... It's a bit jarring. Line work is much straighter. Um, yeah. Angles... Uh, more angular <laughs> yeah definitely more angular but also the the you know he's the the anatomy of the characters are are very different um you know uh the the children are drawn much you know smaller you know than we saw earlier because we we in fact encountered the children earlier on and some of them you know qu- sort of led joe these these are street urchins listeners they sort of pointed the way towards the gathering of ghost uh ladies ghost whores <laughs> that's a horrible thing 
you know, they they showed Joe where the Ripper had been, you know, where it was his killing ground, basically. And then we saw these children. And then the first thing I noticed when this new artist took over is his children are decidedly less realistically drawn. But, you know, obviously this is not a term you can bandy about. Realism, you know, among these two artists, it's out of the window. But I just found more detail in his in the, the, the children drawn by, you know, Troy Nixie earlier. So that's the first kind of uh, panel that jarred me, that sort of made me feel, oh, well, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this, suddenly this disassociation from the story. It really took me out of it for a while. Then I quickly got used to it. And um, I don't know about you, Misty, but the panel where Joe is again confronted by the ghost of old dead Hornby and where Hornby gives him the cutlass in order to, you know, stop Jenny Finn from, from bringing by, about the apocalypse. That That is where I started to like this Dalrymple guy's art. And um, then the story flowed again for me. But there was this brief moment of, oh, man, what what's happening here? Yeah, the way that the uh, Miss Platt is drawn is definitely a lot different. You can see more of her features. She looks a bit younger, perhaps. Yeah. Like, maybe a little less sinister. Yeah, she looked really sinister in, <laughs> in the previous three, <laughs> three chapters. This is chapter four, yeah. by the way, listeners. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even yeah. look at her exactly like that. But now that you mentioned that, man, she's completely different. She's more wide. Her her face is more innocent and wide-eyed. Yeah. Whereas she had this contemplative look like, how do I get this man? How do I get this man? You know, um, sinister plotting kind of look in the previous issues. But also wistful, you know, like, I'm never going to get him. Something like that. Which... Yeah, and here here she looks more innocent and sad. Yeah, childish, yeah. accepting of what's happening. And then, you know, you've got a brief, um, like speaking about women being committed to hospitals, there's this brief interlude segment where we see a mental institution, or, or it could just be a normal hospital, and we get to meet the elephant man. <laughs> I don't know, do, do you remember that segment, Misty? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. he was a big deal in, in Victoria era London, this elephant man. And, you know, that speaks to deformity as a form of horror as well. For the Victorians, they really, you know, found deformed people to be a source of anxiety and horror for them back then. So they touched upon Jack the Ripper. They touched him on the elephant man. And that was a really good callback. Yeah. Or uh, reference. Yeah, and then it turns out this is yeah. not the elephant man at all. He's pretending to be the elephant man. This is Joe disguising himself <laughs> as the elephant man by literally just putting a bag on his head so that he could get into the esoteric order of Dagon. Presumably because this guy who helped him to get into this hospital, he's a friend of Miss Platt's. So this is all still part of the synopsis, listeners. Then he sees a <laughs> portrait of Queen Victoria activates a hidden latch key and then the secret door opens whoosh and then joe's basically in why is this happening listeners because joe has appropriated some of the ripper's effects he's gotten a ring he's gotten some clothes some you know jazzy uh, a jazzy suit that he's got there and then you know he's gonna pretend to be one of the order so that he can infiltrate them and save jenny now, up until this point in time, remember, Joe doesn't know what Jenny is. He doesn't know that she's the focal point for this disease. He just thinks she's this innocent girl. So this is pretty good on him, right, Misty, that he's doing this all for Jenny. This almost makes me believe that he's sort of, it's more than just brotherly affection or fatherly or avuncular, you know, uh, feelings. He's maybe likes her more than just a little. 
maybe even maybe in a romantic way. Maybe he thinks there could be something there. If they could just get a second together. Yeah. Because you know, she's so mysterious. She's always running away. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously, we discussed this during the last episode, too. Back back then, they had different standards. People did marry 13-year-old girls. <sighs> like poor Edgar. Our favorite, Mr. <laughs> Poe. You know, because... No, poor, poor his wife. <laughs> oh, poor wife. I should, I should think about it that way. I, I definitely should think about it. that. But Although she could have... I mean, maybe she got revenge on him for, for leaving this world so early and then... You know what? His mysterious death, perhaps that was... No, wait. She died before he did. Never mind. Were you about to say that she was a Jenny Finn and got him to die from I something? was about to solve the mystery of the death of Edgar Allan Poe, but no. Oh. That's not going to happen. Listen to our previous episode again, listeners. <laughs> this is a bit of a deep cut. For new listeners, just go back. After all, this is part two. You're going to have to listen to part one. But, yeah, I'm just saying that people did fall in love with girls very young, which is reprehensible. But it was reprehensible then, too. They, they just didn't see it that way. But, you know, come on. In hindsight, it is. And then, you know, Joe does feel something for Jenny. That's my point. And he enters this order. And there's all kinds of manner of characters uh, meeting in this secret, you know, um, smoke room or whatever you would call it. This, um, uh, you've got, again, uh, Rasputin with his you know, tentacles cap. And then you've got like a, a guy that looks like he's dressed in a Pope, the Pope's headdress, but he's wearing a suit. And uh, this guy wearing a rug on his hat filled with glass beads or jewels. There must be a name for that. You kind know of what I here. think they're doing? I think what they're doing, they're mimicking, they're creating costume pieces that mimic the symptoms of the Barbarossa. Uh, oh. So that because that they they're worshiping it, they're like this is this new source of power. Oh we're like we have this like gentlemen's club. We're all gonna like get really into like this new cool like, fish disease. So they're all like kind that. of yeah, they're all kind Such of like good... yeah. cosplaying is cosplaying is, is big for them. The yeah, they, they yeah. want to be like you said. That's why they 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 they're waiting for the coming of Oannes. That's why they formed the society. You're right. They want to be like yep. that. They want to be fish people. But they're actually the the very people that Jenny would target to become these amorphous blobs, right? They're the patriarchy. They're the reprehensible people who sanction these acts against women. Um, maybe. I mean, I'm just assuming they're all evil because they belong to this secret society and they're the elite, right? So they're all about keeping the the common man down, the common you know person. So basically, they deserve what they get, except for Joe, who then flashes this ring around and he gets the best treatment just from having this ripper's ring. And he knocks out an old man in full, you know, uh, steampunk getup, right, Misty, to gain entrance to the secret lab (laughs) after he's navigated through these very interesting, colorful characters. And then he sees something that, again, I'm going to... request your powers of description to describe what does he see in the secret lab uh he sees jenny inside of a glass container ribbed with steel bars and plugged into a bunch of steampunk machinery there's pipes going in there's pipes going out there's gears and hoses and uh surgical carts around with different potions and potions like test tubes yeah. in them. Yeah. Uh, and, and all you see 
Joe in his dialogue bubble is just one giant exclamation point. Yeah, like what is he seeing? Because um, after all, this is Jenny in her true form. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention she's the, she's she's a sea monster. Yeah, she's like her dad that they they caught in the net earlier on. Basically, she's just a smaller version of that. And and do yes. you notice the way that Dalrymple drew it is very, you know, um, detailed and and grotesque. But I think um, Troy Nixie did it better when we saw the the dad in the beginning and the caught in the nets. But this is also done really well because do you see the fronds at the bottom of her throat and chest? They're actually yeah. fish heads. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and then she's got this little Yoda face, this old man face floating in this water all serenely. And, oh, yeah. my God, I'm not going ban- to use the word cute, but, oh, it kind of, like, reminds me of that Miyazaki movie, Ponyo, except if Ponyo was a Lovecraftian mos- monstrosity. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Some measure of yeah. cuteness there. And then... You know, Misty, there's, I've got my own uh, line that I want to <laughs> focus your attention to. You might have obviously seen it and felt the same way I did about this, but this, this, this is very horrific. Jenny did not willingly morph into her true form. It turns out, you know, during the time that Joe was recovering from his ordeal and him eventually infiltrating this order, that they experimented on her. <clears throat> and then there's this weird scene where Joe is being challenged by the prime minister in front of this this containment tank which jenny is like floating in and then the prime minister has pulled a gun and joe's just got a cutlass that he got from old hornby and um, then he says what have you done to her because he can't believe this is jenny finn (laughs) he came looking for a little girl and he found this monstrosity and then the prime minister says i nothing i assure you i didn't do anything to her and then he points to the corner of the the lab and you see these two ridiculously evil-looking scientists. I mean, they look like Nazi Germans, Dr. Mengele kind of Frankenstein gone completely batshit crazy kind of scientists. And <laughs> and he introduces them and he says, Dr. Reno, Dr. Clapp, they did a little work on the girl and this spilled out. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that's, that's reprehensible. So, you know, and that, that, goes back to the whole the names of these people in this this book is is off the chain i mean we never learned the prime minister's name but we we learned that the ripper's name was schlackhorn then you've got old man hornby who you know by by he's got the most normal sounding name in this entire comic and then you you know you've got the the client in the very beginning you know in the brothel his name was something like mr flegelhorn or something let me see if all just oppressive names yeah. it's just like the, even the names are they're oppressive to read and to say out loud that's right yeah. <laughs> no offense if your name is Schlegelhorn sorry <laughs> <laughs> I hope or like it's not clap or Reno <laughs> <laughs> Reno clap oh he's probably got the clap the poor guy listen um, uh, Mr. Flanglegear that's the guy's name sorry I, I wrote it down here somewhere nobody has that name there's no nope. listeners if you have that name write to us and uh with with a picture of just your tell ID. us what your life is like yeah like yeah. represent right. for the flangle gears yeah the flangle gears out there this 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 nice old family you know probably living somewhere in the in new england area <laughs> you know racked with fish scales because of some congenital you know family disease who knows lovecraft might have used you as inspiration for his stories i don't know 
making you famous <laughs> by, by <laughs> default. But still, yeah, please write to us. We'd love to. Obviously, with some proof that you're a flangel gear. Yes. <laughs> We're going to need your social security number, name of mother's maiden name, uh, the three numbers on the back of your debit card. Yeah, definitely. Bank account, you know, credit card number, the whole caboodle. <laughs> Just give it to well, us. It's such, a, it's such a classic podcast joke. Uh, Send us your personal info. How many okay. times have, have, has that been done? And we'll do it again. <laughs> when times yes, get we tough. will. And you can't stop us. Hey, let's get that Patreon up and running, Misty. <laughs> <laughs> we should. We really should. That the, we wouldn't have to steal people's personal information. Yeah, the donation <laughs> button. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, we, we don't have to come up with these schemes of getting them to give it to us willingly. Right, right. <laughs> ah, <laughs> things are. Anyway, so <clears throat> basically what happens then is the the end. This this is in a very long way. I finally made it to the end of the synopsis, Misty, <laughs> which is <laughs> that, you know, there's a confrontation with the prime minister uh, Joe's only got the cutlass, you know, and then <clears throat> Prime Minister about to blow his brains out when Jenny, ha- she wants none of this. She wants to save Joe. She batters her gargantuan whale-like body against the sides of this container, this containment tube or whatever she's in. I'm going to call it a Bacta tank, uh, taking okay. a bit of a Star Wars from that. And she breaks this Bacta tank pr- with a crazy sound effect. I don't know what it is. Prash. And in fact, the two doctors said, stop it. Don't prime the the weapon. Don't do that in here. You're making her mad. (laughs) And then she, what she does is she bursts out of this tank and swallows the prime minister whole. And his final words are the Messiah. And then (laughs) uses her fishtail to, you know, batter these two doctors senseless. And then, in a very strange but sadly, you know, wistful scene, she looks up with these puppy dog eyes at Joe and she bears her, what I presume to be her, her most vulnerable part, which is her neck. And she whispers, Joe. And then he says, you want me to do this? And you're sure? And then he doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't wait for confirmation. He just... He doesn't wait oh, at all. Damn. <laughs> He just plunges this cutlass right in there. And then... Squitch! Damn, that's a word I associate with squid and with, you know, these little seafood that that you find here in Taipei that I don't want to (laughs) eat. Oh, and then, you know, she screams and bursts through the wall of this sanitarium, I think it was. That's where the secret order was located. And then she falls what seems to be like five or six floors and she basically splatters to her death on the sidewalk below. And that is a gruesomely crazy panel. Uh, What do you think about that panel, the way it's illustrated? This giant tentacled creature with this puppy dog face lying in this blood splatter. Oh, (laughs) God. Blood. Harrowing. Yes, blood. And then she lands it and she goes, she's like, she goes, thank you, Joe. Yeah, thank, thank you. And then thank, and then her, she fades away as she passes into oblivion. And then we're treated to the weirdest scene yet. Yeah. What What is happening here, Misty? The townspeople descend on Jenny's splatted body <laughs> and start carving her up for dinner. Mm, free seafood. 
Yeah, that's basically what they're doing. And yeah, every- I, I, maybe not for dinner, but just everybody gathers around and takes a little chunk home for themselves. Yeah, which is, which I don't know why. I mean, at this point in time, are they compelled to do this by Jenny's own power, or is this her way of sort of living on in them, or of eventually, you know, keeping the disease alive? I don't know. But Joe. Maybe it's because they also they're volunteering to be fish people. Yes. They're like they're like finally we could be fish people. We're gonna go. We're gonna all eat Jenny and like we've been waiting for this and now we can be like pain free and like part of this fun fish cult. Yeah, because it seems that that's what everybody's moving towards. They all want to be these you know elevated fish like beings. They they kind of want to return to the sea, which sort of is the womb of life if you think about it. But you know, in a very strange way, because I don't think I don't think this is what Jenny wanted. This is another kind of form of rape for me. Whereas you could see it as okay, Jenny is now, you know, getting what 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 she and her father maybe planned, which is infecting them all through you know having them ingesting her body. But it also, strangely enough, Misty, it harkens back to 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 Christianity, which is like. Jenny sacrificed herself, and then the, her body becomes the bread, her blood becomes the wine, and they Ooh. partake of that. It's just, it's got that kind of oh, symbolism. Oh, I didn't even think about it like that. Yeah. That, that freaks yeah, me yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, involuntary cannibalism, you know? Like, it's one thing if you consent for somebody to eat you after you die, but, like, if you don't consent, then that's, like, a problem. Yeah, I and she I don't think she consented because... I mean, think about it. She was raped and then she's cannibalized. And, um, you know, that is basically serial serial killing victims, you know, what they go through Um, in in some cases, you know, with with these really sick serial killers. You know, they sexually assault their victims, they kill them and they end up eating them. So well, in the absolute worst, worst cases. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not in every (laughs) single case. I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize to you serial killers out there, but I'm saying this has happened and this is horrible that is happening to Jenny. And, um, but then, you know, did you get that, that, that weird reference to Charles Dickens's Christmas Carol in the very final panel panel where you've got tiny Tim, tiny Tim sitting at the table and he's getting served up his, his Christmas dinner. And he says, God bless us, everyone. Just like in yeah. Charles Dickens's The Christmas Carol. This is sick. It's like, Okay, you gotta bring maybe a little bit of humor in there. Yeah, (laughs) that for me, that's saying like, okay, this comic, you know, started off as something, and then it turned into something else, and then it degenerated into this parody of Victorian, you know, uh, literature. (laughs) Because I mean, you had the Elephant Man in here, you had Jack the Ripper, and then you had, you know, uh, the obsession with with uh, venereal diseases. You know, um, then which which is which see in the novel novels like Dracula and stuff like that. You know, that's all oh, about yeah. blood diseases, diseases of the blood. And then you have them commenting on sort of you know everybody being equal during Christmas time. You know, everybody you know, like Scrooge being rich and the family of Tiny Tim being poor. They're all you know equal around the dinner table, and the Queen even partakes of this steaming you know mound of Jenny flesh. Ugh. So, they must not have very good food in this in this city if they're like excited to eat this meat glue. Uh, like, don't, oh, like, meat glue! Oh my god! Sorry. You just brought that image I know, it was just roaring like a bunch back. Of random seafood parts <laughs> attached with meat glue. They're just like 
they must not have good food because the queen herself is 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 psyched to partake in this oh she's monstrous ex- monstrous meat definitely she's extremely psyched look at her raising her one eyebrow and like mm, <laughs> i'm looking forward to this yeah so you wealthy know, and common people all all as well yeah oh so you know they they end that with that line saying like you know and the common man as well so you know this is sort of saying what at least in my mind that jenny has now you know been yeah she was a victim in the beginning but then she got her own back by infecting this town and then by being captured by the prime minister and and possibly she would have been subjected to innumerable experiments and have her again you know lose her agency and her power she chose freedom through death, but yet she's not free yet because now her body is being cannibalized. So this is not, for me, this doesn't end well for Jenny. I don't know if it's not a happy ending, of course. Yeah, it's not. Because she owned her power at one point in time when she was in her human shape. She was content. She was happy. She was bringing the word of Dagon or of Oannes to the people. But then, you know, everything turned on his head and... You know, I don't know. Basically, it's a sad ending, listeners, uh, where, you know, yeah, Joe and his new, you know, um, uh, girlfriend, I think, Miss Platt has now become. I'm not sure what she is. They've escaped on this boat, but Jenny hasn't. You know, she's she's basically still being uh, appropriated by the system, which which wants to benefit from her power. And I don't know what will happen to them. There might be a Jenny Finn 2 being planned for the future, Misty, where everybody becomes these horrible monstrosities and it's the war between them. I don't know, but I, I doubt it. It's just a weird ending, very strange ending. And that's why it's going to affect my score a little. So yeah. let's get into that. I mean, did you... Well, I've, I still have some notes, but, um, you know, we can do the scoring first if you want and then discuss some of the other things we might have missed. This time around, though, we're not using the bloody skull system. Misty, because we used that for Poe, and that was appropriate because that was our, you know, there were a lot of bloody skulls. <laughs> but this one we can use the Doomfish system if you want, because there's a lot of little oh, good. little fish whispering doom all over the place. So I gave this a two and a half out of five. Might be a little low, but the ending sort of left me hanging. It was too ambiguous. Yeah. So what? What's your score, Misty? I gave it a. I actually gave it a four out of five. <laughs> Ooh, you liked it. Hey, no, I'm not going to fault you for that because we spoke about this off mic. The more we talked about it, the more we we re- reread it, sort of while talking about it. The more we sort of mm-hmm. ended up liking it. But the ending and that that part where they suddenly changed artists that was too. That's almost like a deal breaker for me. But yeah. what I did like about it is it led us into some interesting you know, trains of discussion and interesting avenues of discussion, I should say, because there's a lot to unpack here. I agree. I think that was kind of brave to maybe not brave. I don't know. There's, I think there's two men that wrote this story. So I hope that they consulted with like perhaps people who've been victims before or maybe domestic abuse. Yeah. I don't know. Like, because, yeah, this was a... I'm not really sure what the story was trying to say. Um, it was kind of more sad than it was scary. Yeah, me. yeah. I mean, I, this, this... I felt... Oh, sorry, continue. No, 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 no. You you first, sorry. Um, I interrupted um, you. I felt empathy for Jenny Finn. 
things just kept getting worse for her until she died. Yeah. And maybe it would have been nice if she had some moments of retribution or relief or hope. Yeah. But the story seemed to really just spiral into darkness hmm. and was kind of sad and kind of a bummer. So I think I'm just going to like bring my score down to like 3.5. <laughs> yeah. Take it down a little Drop bit. A half. Just for how much of a bummer it was. It was. Because I'm not really bummer. sure what it was trying to say. Like, if you're a victim of sexual assault, you should like kill yourself by jumping, like asking a guy to murder you and then jumping out of a window and like. No. I don't know. I'm I'm sure that's not what it was trying to say, but like the first time I read it, I was just like, I don't know what this is trying to say. Like, yeah, it, I don't think it's trying to say anything. I think Mignola and Troy Nixie started off with wanting to do a Lovecraft homage, you know, to to one of their literary heroes, and then you know what because happened? it's like she she's referred to as corrupted. She's demonized in the city. Everybody like people are the. I don't know. Is it saying that if you're raped, you have power and that men want to harness your power? Yeah, no? that's what it's saying in terms of what they, they eventually did to her with the, because they identified that the power that she has stemmed from, you know, what she's doing to these men, um, you know, which which is definitely in, from a sexual kind of nature, because I, there's no proof anywhere in the comic that it's sort of transmitted by touch alone. Right, Misty? It seems to be she has to be with a man. Um, but you know, but then wait a minute, wait a minute. But I the, forgot the, the sex the, workers are also infecting the guys yeah, in the town too. Yeah, she's sort of given them that power, but not through having sex with her, obviously. But it seems to be if you, if someone lies with her, which she might have done in the brothel, they they never say that. Then basically, what what happens is they are changed. But what happened to the the Ripper then? I mean, she literally just showed up at his house and that's how he was transformed so i'm not sure yeah. what, what how it's but it's very important to to determine whether it is through sex or not because that's that's where the the human side of it comes in and the the the, the woman side right misty where you know like what were these two guys who wrote this comic thinking were they going the the, the route of you know female sexuality is dangerous or were they going the other route which is saying no 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 we just we put that in because it was a concern in victoria era london so I don't know, really. I, I think they changed their minds halfway through the book. Or maybe yeah. three quarters through. It feels like that. That's Perhaps. why my score is so low. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I could see that. Definitely. Because it does, it does feel a little bit unresolved. It feels like, okay, we're just going to have her jump out a window and then Tiny Tim's going to say, God bless everyone. <laughs> yes. Like, okay. Like, Which I guess God, you can though? end a story like that. I mean, yeah. I, I think about it. If you think about it in a different way, it's Oannes going to bless them, you know, with the, the flesh of, of the... Maybe, think about it this way. If Oannes is an analog of, of God, of, of the Christian God, at least, and Jenny being his, his Jesus, he sacrificed her in order to get her flesh to the people, literally, which is not literally in the Bible, but, you know, so... This is him offering up his... So this is a freaking Bible allegory? <laughs> I'm melting. I'm melting. Oh, what a world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a world. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, you know what I'm going to post tomorrow saying, you know, recording with Misty Be Like? I'm going to uh, uh, gonna post that Nazi in Raiders of the Lost Ark burning. <laughs> Perfect. You know what I mean. That's 
the moment you discovered your comic you were reading is a Bible allegory. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, this is... Oh, now, I... Why did it go down this, this route? I'm so disappointed in these guys now. <laughs> you know, and Mignola no, normally doesn't do that. In his Hellboy stuff, he goes into folklore and to, into paganism. He almost... I mean, he deals with Christianity, but only that it's ineffective against the, the threats. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Sometimes it's yeah, effective. Yeah, but it makes... It makes so much sense now that you said that. I'm like, this is exactly what that is. Because she, like, full-on sacrifices herself. God damn it. Misty. To enlighten these sea people. (laughs) These sea rapists. These Philistines now become the chosen. Oh, no. Okay. I'm going to formally apologize, Misty. Because (laughs) this is not what you and I are about. But this happened. And it it blindsided me. They blindsided us. Next time we should do a more in-depth like <laughs> talk about it before we. <laughs> I'll remember to do that. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. Sometimes stories turn out to be Bible allegories. It's just what happens. It's just something that happens. And this is why, in my notes, <laughs> popular <I'm>... book. <laughs> yeah, the most popular book in the world. Also, actually, one of the most popular horror books in the world. If you think about it, in the, streets. the <laughs> yeah. Bible contains an insane amount of horror. Just not my type of horror. I'm sorry, because people think that hard to be real. I mean, it's like if you're reading Clive Barker's, you know, the, the Hellbound Heart, you know, which is the Hellraiser movie, basically. You know, if you're thinking you could actually call a pinhead by eviscerating some people and getting into some insane amount of masochism, then obviously you scare me. But if you're reading it as fiction, you're fine. The only problem is that the Bible is a book of horrors that people don't see as fiction. <laughs> So, yeah. Okay. So, we, we, we did that, listeners. So, yeah, we're just going to leave this in because <laughs> we're all about keeping it real. <laughs> now, listen, Misty, I do have to mention, though, to, to keep the Lovecraft respect that I think our listeners also want to maintain. This story is decidedly un-Lovecraftian then because Lovecraft stories normally end with no explanation given. There's no allegory. There's no, you know, type of resolution. And there, it ends with people being driven insane. So nice. now, now it did that for us up until the point that it didn't. Because you and I, we ended on a Lovecraftian note by saying, I don't know what the story was going to say. And then suddenly yeah. we determined what it is saying. Yeah. So, so it's not Lovecraftian at all, listeners. Just keep Lovecraft out of this. I think the homage <laughs> failed big time here. 2.5. <laughs> Okay. I did like the Doomfish, though. Oh, that was the best part. That was the best yeah. part of the whole thing. The yeah. little fish whispering doom. And then, you know... <laughs> and the accordion music that was sadly absent, but should have been in, you know, in every, you know, fish side horror town, you know. <laughs> Luckily, we added that, that, you know, so it gave us an excuse for you to whip out your accordion, Misty. And I'm so glad it did that. Next time, I'm going to purposefully pick more seaside horror just so you could <laughs> regale us. Hey, I got, a, I got other instruments, you know. I know. <laughs> the musician that you are slash artist slash web designer. <laughs> I'm not going to put that part in. Anyway, listen, <laughs> I don't want the people to know too much about, about us. You. Anyway, listen, so, okay, let me just stop here. Okay, here we go okay. again. All right, so uh, I've got a little bit more notes but it's basically just about how the story is about Lovecraft and since we've established Misty that it's not very Lovecraftian now so I'm not even going to bother mentioning them 
What we are going to mention, listeners, is that, you know, we are definitely going to um, have some new segments as a part of the show. One of the new segments that we're going to be doing, right, Misty, is we're going to ascribe some kind of a reward system to any of the listeners out there who deem us worthy of a five-star iTunes review. So, of course, don't be untrue to yourself. You, you Basically, if you think we're not worth five stars, don't give us five stars. But if you do think that you enjoy listening to us that much, that you're willing to give us that score, we will definitely ascribe a reward to you on the show. And we're unsure exactly what form that reward will take, but it might be something in the in the vein of we will write a short horror story, putting you as a character in there, and we might even do something else, you know, something extra added to that horror story to sort of sweeten the pot a bit. Right, Misty? So that's something new that we're going to incorporate in the show. It's sort yeah. Of a, yeah. Just a shout out to our listeners. Yeah. Shout out to our listeners. Those five-star reviews really bring us up in the ratings and get more attention for our podcast and then more people will listen and like horror comics. Definitely, definitely. And then, you know, yeah. we did also get some feedback um, from some listeners who enjoyed the Elvira episode. Now, um, the feedback that we uh, got for the Elvira episode, we did not read on the first part, which was our Edgar Allan Poe Mask of the Red Death uh, episode which was part one of this one, we're going to read the feedback now. So, um, Misty, I'll read uh, two of the letters we received, the emails we received, and then you can read the third one. Um, Okay. All right. The first email we got was from Mark, um, and he said, basically, the title being, It's Alive! Again! (laughs) So glad to see the long box of darkness popping up on my feed again. I thought the podcast had breathed its last... It would have been a real shame since there aren't that many horror comic shows out there. You guys are the best of the best. Hey, thanks, Mark. Um, makes me feel all warm inside. Some changes have been made, but I guess that's to be expected after a long break. I only have one question. Where has Misty been the past 23 episodes? She's a terrific addition to the cast. The joke sh- section was a welcome surprise, but I warmed up to her long before that. A lady who loves horror and comics? What a gal. She sounds great with lots of factoids at her beck and call. Okay, and then we asked for our listeners to send in some questions. Mark did that, in fact. I don't know if any of the others did, (laughs) but Mark asked a question. He said, I can't think of any other questions to ask except maybe the usual, such as what are her all-time favorite horror films? So he, he means you, Misty. And then he also puts the question to me. He says... Uh, since I he can't remember me ever mentioning this on an old episode, he also puts the question to both of us, and he okay. says that's usually the question he leads off to with when he meets a new monster kid. So, Misty, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have you go first. Like, I I don't even think you and I have discussed. We've talked about movies before, but I don't know what are right. your favorite horror films of all time. Oh, well, hold on. Let me go get my list. I actually made Oh, my list. God. It's on my cool. kitchen table. I'll be right back. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I better get my list in order then, too. Damn, what is my list? Oh, okay. I got it here. It's not really a list. <laughs> Found the list. Okay. So, I, when it comes to horror, horror movies, I'm a big fan of the horror comedy genre. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, essentially all my favorite horror movies are also like comedies. 
brilliant. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna have to live tweet some of them. Yeah. Okay. So, in no particular order, I'm just gonna read a little bit. We've got the witches oh, with yeah. Angelica Houston. Fantastic. Based on the Road Doll novels, so yeah. good. Saw it as a kid. Still scary. Scared me as a kid. Still disturbing. Amazing horror, horror, child horror, children horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really, they really scarred our minds back then. Nowadays, they're more careful. But <laughs> right, uh, I've got what we do in the shadows. That's just like, oh, it's so good. It's oh, a classic. I love that movie. That's also the the, the TV series is so good. That the show. Oh, I'm glad it's, it's been so renewed. good. Damn, it's good. Listeners, watch that show. I'm sure you're already watching it, but if you haven't, check out what what we do in the shadows. It's so funny. It's the funniest show. It's like the only TV show I watch. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Damn good. Oh, and Mark Hamill actually guest starred on an episode recently. So, Damn, for anybody I'm... who likes Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And uh, scary Mark Hamill, he does well. You know, he used to do a lot of scary mm-hmm. horror voices in the past. So I'm looking forward to seeing him on that. What else? Okay, Misty? next movie, Creep Show. Oh yeah, the classic. Of course, Misty. That's of what that's what started the podcast. You know, the very first yeah. episode I did, Creep Show, oh, the the comic yeah. book. But you know, it's directly based. Oh, I love that movie. Damn. Yeah, of course. Horror gotta fun. gotta love Creep Show. It's like maybe that might be number one. I don't know. That, that might be number. That's one. the horror anthology we so like. You know, the anthology format. Yeah. Yeah, based Brilliant. on Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Oh, so good. 80s horror. It's got everything. Um, I'm going to go. Let's see. Where do we go next? Let's go to Little Shop of Horrors. Damn, I love that. Oh, Steve Martin and that was. I actually used that, you know, the, the, the weird Willie Wilkinson intro the other day on Into the Weird. Oh, I love him. Awesome. Very good. There's. There's just no movie like it. It's so good. It's so quirky and cool and scary and funny. And it, I don't even like musicals, but I like that movie. Oh, I love that movie <laughs> so much. The dentist bit. Oh, I still. That's horror. That's real horror, folks. <laughs> so, oh yeah, actually, yeah. That that's, that's disturbing. Steve <laughs> Steve Martin does so good in that scene. Like he does. So, oh, he's a genius he's brilliant he's but a wonder everybody was good in that movie even bull murray when That's he showed true. up as a masochist and pissed off martin because he couldn't oh, feel yeah. pain <laughs> oh doctor i got a root canal the other day it was so good <laughs> oh my gosh what a who, movie. Would do, who would put that in a movie i love it it's so disturbing it's so good and and just a kind of the allegory for the way that people have to sacrifice their friends and neighbors to make a living you know (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah well when you live on skid row you're gonna have to deal with it when you're living (laughs) through a pandemic as well oh damn yeah of course oh uh sorry going back to comic talk (laughs) um next movie we've got the lost boys oh nice misty i mean lots of comic book stuff in there you know the the brothers running the comic book store Oh yeah. man, I love it. <laughs> oh, that's so a good. good. Movie. Once again, eighties, uh, hunky vampire guys. So good. People um, are strange when you're a stranger. <laughs> oh, I love it. What a movie. Uh, 
I've got Cat's Eye on here. That's maybe Stephen like a runner's a, a runner up to Creep Show. <laughs> yeah, anthology format. Stephen King. Oh, I loved it. That little troll sucking the life out of Drew, you know Drew Barrymore's nostrils at night. That still bugs me. <laughs> um, I've got the Stone Tape on here, which is a kind of an older British horror film. Never horror seen movie. it. The Stone Tape. Okay, you've given it's, me a recommendation here. It's really good. It's Stone tape. about a team of scientists that move into an old haunted house and make it their new research laboratory. Yeah. And they start pick, picking up sort of uh, signals from the foundation of the home itself and sort of bizarre things happen. And it's, it's really interesting and folksy and british and okay i gotta see it mm. i've seen it a couple times that i want to watch it like four more times because it's it's fascinating and yeah i gotta watch it yeah. that's kind of my thing you know like uh, science meeting the supernatural and getting its butt kicked <laughs> Ooh, you would love it you would nice. love it and it's i think it's 70s so it's got mm. like oh cla- like good aesthetic yeah. vibe going on my favorite the next, era. yeah the next Two movies I have, and this will be the end of my list. The next two movies I have are newer movies. Uh, I've got the movie Satanic Panic on here. Have you seen this? No. Also, I haven't seen this. What? I feel like such a tyro here when it comes to those movies. Like, what? Satanic Panic? It's an actual. I mean, I I know the name, I know the term, but I've never seen the movie. It's a it's a movie. It just came out last year. It's about this pizza delivery girl who has to deliver a pizza to a satanic cult. And (laughs) they just, they try to sacrifice her and she has to like fight for her life. And it's so good. And it's really contemporary. It's really modern. It's, uh, I like the characters in it. Rebecca Romaine is in it. She's amazing. Lovely. Um, It's a really good, like new horror film, like a new one, you know? Mm, mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, Misty, you've given me two really good recommendations here. Satanic Panic, The Stone Tape. I'm going to have to hunt them down. And then I'm going to rewatch the rest of the ones you mentioned. Because, yeah, nice. I actually haven't seen them in a while. Actually, what what we do in the shadows I saw earlier this year on an airplane when, when folks were still flying. I just had to rewatch it because it's so funny. You know, Taika Waititi. I love that guy. <laughs> I don't know why. He's, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's a just a come out director come out swinging like um, i look forward to anything he makes yeah same. so good same here and then you've got jermaine clement you know i hope i'm pronouncing his name correctly but you know he's um <clears throat> famous from flight of the concords and and recently he's been on legion you know the tv show legion i don't know if you watch that but um he's i, I love that guy too you know both of them new zealand actors obviously most of the people in the movie um, but both of them are so different and so, dis- so distinct in their personalities and the way they deliver their lines. I when they're together, it's just magic, and they're friends from way back when, you know. So yeah, uh, when I said coming out swinging, that's like me as an American not living in New Zealand or knowing about his whole movie career. Until, oh no, uh, what we do in the well, I did see what we do in the shadows when it came out like years I think ago. But that... but his newer stuff that he's been making like. Um, like uh, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit, yeah. Yeah. Oh. See, he's, he's. I feel like he punched it up or something. Like he's. he's he went to a whole new level. Out. 
you're right. Yeah. No, he is. Well, obviously, he. I mean, he blew up kind of when he did the Marvel movies. I think he did uh, the Thor. He did Marvel movies. Yeah, he did Thor Ragnarok, and um, oh. after that, he just blew up. And then you know they've slated him to direct uh, the next Thor movie as well. And he's like a staple director of of, of Disney's Marvel now. But, you know, I don't like him because of that. I liked him because of what we do in the shadows. And Jojo Rabbit sort of cemented the fact that he's more than just that. He's more than just a Marvel director. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I honestly didn't even know he did Marvel movies. because, Like, I I definitely enjoy his his visions outside of, like, the big studio. Yeah, same here. Because I'm sure there's just such a high amount of control that goes into those movies. Unfortunately, yeah. he, he, I'm sure lends his creative and his directorial eye to that, mm. but also his other projects where it's not the the that same amount of control. I, I like those a lot too. Yeah, no, same. I'm I'm thinking. I'm hoping he would go the independent film route more often. But you know, now that he's got you know the eye of Hollywood on him, the spotlights on him, he's gonna get big name projects. I'm just hoping he can maintain that Waitiki sort of eclecticism yeah. or what would you call it that uniqueness that he has oh yeah man, I love the stay guy. cool stay cool stay be cool yourself <laughs> we're ytt <laughs> fans anyway um i'm i'm definitely gonna watch that stuff again misty and let, let's set up some live tweets you know sometimes billy and i billy delicious on twitter one of our followers and supporters and my co-host on into the weird we do these live tweets and i'm thinking this list that you just gave us it's got so much live tweet potential you know, we got to do some of them at least. And we'll get the the listeners involved. You know, we'll tag most of our Twitter friends and we see how many people we can get. One, you know, down the line. We'll do it in a, maybe a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, come watch movies with us. Definitely. We're going to have to involve you more in our lives, not just, you know, uh, podcasting all the time. You know, we'll do some more stuff. Work on the blog a bit more too from my side. <laughs> but yeah, definitely on Twitter. That's where we're mostly at, right, Misty? We're, we're big Twitter verse junkies yeah and if you want to interact with us that's probably your best bet but please send us emails and voice files mp3 format if you can we'd also love to play that on the show so i hope that answered mark's question in terms of me i'm just quickly going to rattle off my list mark um i'm normally fans of the movies that got me into horror as you know films i was into horror before i saw my first horror film through a comic book collection that my uncle gifted me which was in this black box this old broken down black box which is where I got the idea for the long box of darkness and I had this black long box it wasn't really a a traditional long box you know it was more like a long box you use for storing records in you know which my uncle appropriated to put his comics in and he was a big comic book reader and but one day he decided to get rid of his collection and he gave me 300 plus worth of comics in this long box and I was only like four and then, you know, most of them were horror because he liked horror a lot. And he was a big Western fan. There were some Western comics in there, some sword and sorcery. But I'd say 90%, you know, of them were, were DC and Marvel's horror titles with some, obviously, some eerie and creepy and the Marvel monster magazines and, and, and you know, a bit of Skywald stuff and Charlton, all of that mixed together. No easy, though, but I got that much later. So, you know, because of that, I was a horror fan before I saw movies. But then when I discovered movies, it was like, oh, my God. Now my life is complete because, you know, there's horror in the movies, there's horror in the comics that I'm reading. So the one of the very earliest horror films I saw was John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, so The Thing really made me an unabashed fan of 
horror, you know, because it dealt with so many scary elements, you know, seclusion, uh, cut off from help, this amorphous enemy that takes them out one by one, you know, not knowing who your friend is, not knowing who your enemy is. Basically, they didn't know shit's up there in the in the Arctic. And it was just a mess. It was just a horror from the get-go to the from the beginning to the end. So the thing is definitely at the top of my list. Then Creepshow, which I loved. I discovered that very early on. And that sort of cemented my... It, it married comics, books with horror. That's what it did. Because the whole anthology format of Creepshow is based off of Tales of the Crypt. So definitely the thing in Creepshow. And then I also love David Cronenberg's The Fly. Even though it's super gross. It's That's super, a good one. It's super gross. I just, I love it. And I love, you know, um, everybody in that film. The The acting was off the chain. I just think it was one of the best acted horror movies since, let's say, for instance, The Shining or The Exorcist, which was a little bit before my time. I only saw those two movies much later. In fact, The Exorcist was banned from South Africa for like the longest time. So I only saw that oh. much later. Yeah. So, you know, The Thing, The Fly, Creep Show, And then more recent movies would be Mandy from Panos Cosmetis, starring Nicolas Cage. And, you know, Mandy, wow, it really, I, I don't know, maybe I was in the right time and place when I, I was stoned out of my mind the first time I saw that movie, and it was <laughs> a, the perfect effect. And every time I've watched that since, I don't even need to be stoned to sort of psychedelically become stoned again, you know, without <laughs> you know, the need to smoke anything, because that movie is such a trip. Uh, so I'm going to have to put Mandy way up there. And then some classic Hammer films. Dracula, Prince of Darkness and Dracula has Risen from the, ga the Grave and Taste the Blood of Dracula. Those are my, you know, sort of canon of, of great classic horror movies that I've loved ever since I was a kid. So I'm just going to rattle that list off. And there's more, but, but that's the top of my list. Not a lot of horror comedies there, Misty, except if you count Creepshow. Although I am a big fan of, of Dead Alive which was Peter Jackson's horror movie. Well, that from... one's pretty good. Yeah, that one's a pretty, that's like a classic. I remember watching that and not uh. thinking it was too, that funny. I don't know. Like a lot of people are like, you got to see this. It's like a, one of a quintessential horror comedy. Maybe I should watch it again. But I was I, like, this is I don't know. Wide. I also didn't think it was very funny. I, it was gross for me. It was really, it creeped me out with the grossness of it. And that's where yeah. the comedy comes from. But it wasn't very funny. No. I mean, oh, um, oh, the part, the part. Okay, there is this part where he is mowing down a bunch of zombies with a lawnmower, and that is pretty funny because, like, he's like he's going in a circle with the blades of the lawnmower facing out, and yeah. he's surrounded by zombies, and he's just like shredding, <laughs> shredding this crowd of zombies. There's just like blood and gore going everywhere. That is funny. That part was hilarious. I remember laughing during that. Okay, part. yeah, there were some some, <laughs> some parts that I would borderline funny yeah maybe you're right but uh, you know some stuff completely fell flat that like the the catholic priest who kicks ass for the lord with his you know taekwondo or karate skills it just like i was like what why do you put that yeah. in but you know be that as it may i love the movie for the grossness for the horror side and for the practical effects which peter jackson sort of championed back then in new zealand which that they didn't really have a lot of practical effects back then in new zealand cinema so, you know, uh, that's my list, Misty, but I really d dig your list very much. And, and in fact, this is something I never knew about you. I didn't know you liked all these classics. I mean, The Lost Boys and Fright Night, for me, are two of my favorite vampire movies of all time. Yeah. Oh, Fright Night is so good. Oh, it's so good. Peter oh, Vincent. I should also... 
I should also mention Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. I enjoyed that movie a lot. I wouldn't put it on the top my my top list, but <laughs> I don't oh, know if so it's good. on the top, but it's like worth a mention. Thanks, Misty. So, Mark, I hope that answers your questions, mate. <laughs> um, um, you got to know us a little bit better. I'm I'm hoping through our you know likes and dislikes in in cinema. That that is a good question, actually, Misty. If you're thinking of you meet meet a horror fan for the first time, you want to know what they like and don't like in terms yeah. of movies. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then we've got another listener, Callum. Callum wrote in with a very pertinent question, I think, but it's something I completely overlooked. It is a good question, Callum. We're going to address that. His email was titled, "What about Vampirella?" <laughs> so, as you know, listeners, we discussed Elvira, one of the greatest horror hosts of all time, in our previous well two episodes back. And, um, you know, uh, Callum was offended, not really offended, that's a bit of a strong word, but he was wondering why we didn't mention her. Since we did mention Vampira, we mentioned the witches from the DC horror comics, we mentioned, um, you know, even Madame Xanadu from the, you know, uh, early 80s. Well, she wasn't really a horror host, but, you know, she was kind of served that function for a while. But we didn't mention Vampirella, and it's true, Vampirella is one of the quintessential comic book horror hosts even though she also sometimes had her own story she would host like three stories and then she would have one story where she had her own adventure or something like that so yeah she's a a force to be reckoned with in comics so misty i'm gonna let you address why you know what we're gonna do to to correct this (laughs) grievance but i'm quickly gonna read callum's um email he says the newest episode was fun i just have one minor gripe how could you leave out Vampirella? Whenever female horror hosts are discussed, her name must be mentioned. I'll forgive your grievous error this once. Thanks for your generosity. <laughs> okay, and then Callum went on to say some stuff about, you know, double bagging. And, you know, because in our previous episode, uh, well, the Alvira yeah. episode, we asked about what, you know, what you think double bag means. And, um, you know, obviously... He says double bagging means just basically putting a bagged item into another bag, you know, because you might want to protect it or it might be heavy. You know, you need two bags to support it. Um, And he also said that, you know, he tied this in with a comment about his girlfriend (laughs) saying he's tried to get his girlfriend to say that she double bag him. I don't think that's a good idea, Callum. Like we mentioned, Misty, in the Elvira episode, that might cut off some circulation. I don't know. Yeah, don't do that. I think she was talking about a body bag. Damn, Callum, what did you do to piss up your, your uh, piss off your lady, man? <laughs> you might not want your girlfriend to double body bag you. <laughs> Definitely not, Callum. Watch out. Watch your back. <laughs> All right. So then um, he went on to say, uh, after he saw Misty's pic on the blog, where you were dressed as a demonic cat lady, he said, <laughs> no neck bolts. That's usually the type of girl Herman hangs out with. What do you mean by that, Callum? <laughs> What do you mean by that? I would love a girl with neck bolts. In fact, That's only I, because you have your secret lab where you sew people's body parts together and reanimate them into friends and foes. That's me, Misty Herman yeah. West, reanimator. That's why you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Compliment. <laughs> I appreciate that, Callum. Well done, mate. And then he said, in all seriousness, I had a lot of fun with this episode. The new co-host was the highlight for me. Well done there, Misty. Hopefully this time the show will stick around. That's him commenting on the fact that we're very sporadic. I might keep listening too, but I guess that all depends on whether you'll talk some Vampirella in future episodes. So he's obviously a big Vampirella fan. And then Callum ends with saying, until then, I'll be content with the sultry tones of Misty Graves. (laughs) 
Very nice. Very nice, Callum. We appreciate that. And I think mostly about Thank you. Thank you, Callum. Oh, ghostly voice to, <laughs> to ugh, the sultry voice. <laughs> you got what you needed, Callum, out of that. <sighs> don't know what you're going to do with that, but whatever. Just don't let your girlfriend listen to that. <laughs> she double bag you. All right, Misty. <laughs> then we get to another Misty fan. No Herman fans in this feedback, folks. Misty, this is from an old friend of mine from South Africa who I, I didn't force her to listen to the podcast, but I definitely, you know, let her know that we're back and she was very happy. And then she sort of took a shine to you. So, yeah, what it, what it what's the last feedback about? Can you read that for us? Sure. She says, Dear Misty. Oh, by the way, we should mention her name. I forgot to mention that. This is Tara. Tara from South Africa as well. Uh, she says, I enjoyed listening to the Elvira episode a lot. You two really did your research. I feel like I know the Mistress of the Dark a little bit better now. I've read a few issues of her 2018 Dynamite title and loved them. The art is cartoony, but it suits the funny tone of the book. Issues 5 through 8 are so good. Elvira goes to hell and reenacts Dante's Inferno. This harkens back to what you mentioned on the show about what would happen if Elvira ever meets the devil. Silly fun, but a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon, which is usually when I read my weekly comics. The comic shops over here are mostly closed now, so I'm not getting any new books. But I've got a stack of unread issues to get through, so for now I'm okay. And listening to you too helps. And listening to you too helps. (laughs) So thank you for that. (laughs) Nice. I do have a question for you. Are you planning on covering Neil Gaiman's Sandman in the near future? It's my absolute favorite piece of fiction. I've been waiting three years for Herman to include it, but he's never done it. That's the comic that got me into the medium. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, well, I mean... Oh, and then she... It's not finished. Sorry, Misty. Is there another bit? Uh, As for the horror joke request, I'm afraid I don't know any, but I'd refer you to the Sandman volume the kindly one where loki tells the story of a prank he played on thor it's not strictly horror but it horrified me <laughs> i am looking forward to listening to you talk more more horror warm regards tara oh nice okay wow that's a nice message definitely makes those two guys look a little bit tame when, when it comes to writing skills well done tara tara is in fact a well, very nice yeah she's a yeah. very nice person and she's we've been friends since childhood so yeah, but this is the first time she's given feedback because I think she was bored by my previous episodes where I'm like a one-man show. Just <laughs> There's no, you know, nothing for her to identify with. So, yeah. But I'm glad you're back, Tara. Thanks for listening again. So, Misty, let's address Vampirella and the Sandman quickly. Um, I'll handle okay. the Vampirella one. Um, we okay. definitely are going to talk some Vampirella down the line. We're going to focus on her Warren Magazine collections, which is... The only Vampirella I've actually read. I haven't read a lot of modern Vampirella. I've come across a few issues of the Dynamite series. But, you know, the art was too garish, too colorful, too brightly colored for what I associate with my black and white Vampirella from way back when. So, But, you know, when I was a kid, I only ever had like maybe three or four of the Warren Vampirella mags. So I remember liking them a lot because of the art. Lots of Esteban Morato art in them, Misty, which he's like a Spanish artist. He's amazing. But... um. You know, since I didn't have a lot of her available, I sort of, you know, didn't really include her in our discussion of horror hosts. She just didn't come to mind. So I apologize again for that, Callum, but she is a big deal. So we're going to include her. 
Callum, wait for it. It'll be a couple of months before the, we do that, but we'll definitely um, give you what you need and what you want from, from Vampirella. <laughs> so, Misty, how about the Sandman? Yeah. Are we going to... Oh. I mean, the, the, I can tell you the reason why I haven't included it in the show yet is because it's it's on such a pedestal. It's so It's such a big deal. In, in, in comics in general, not just in horror comics, it's almost like, you know, something I don't want to touch alone. But now that I've got a co-host, you know, to, to jump feet first into mm. this abyss, we're going to yeah. have... I mean, it's really literary horror on a very high scale. Mm. So Tara's been bugging me to talk about that for ages. That's probably why she didn't listen to a lot of my solo shows. <laughs> so. And I, th- I, and I love it. We're, we're we cover such a range here when we say horror comics i mean it could be like a one-page comic about a rug that eats somebody's wife to like a 300 page <laughs> graphic novel <laughs> graphic novel right exactly so um well, we're gonna... yeah it's a real big range we'll just have to maybe we could just fit it in somewhere you know maybe we could yeah, we can do story arcs. We can do story arcs. We don't have to do the entire series. I mean, there's 12 volumes out collecting everything that's been done by Neil Gaiman. Uh, obviously, a variety of different artists on it. But I'm thinking we can do story arcs. Like, we can do the first volume, which is about 200 pages or 180 pages or so of comics. And then, you know, we can we don't have to hit panel by panel like we normally do, Misty. We could just do the story arc. I've done that in the past on previous shows, um, you know, where I sort of just gloss over the main story and then we pick the highlights. We could do that. Sandman's sure. definitely worthy of study. It's like so, such a lot to say about that. Um, it's layer upon layer of meta text, you know, so um, it's deep. It's really, I mean, it's Alan Moore level type writing that Gaiman attempted there. So we're going to talk about that, Tara. Rest assured, I yeah. just hope we do it justice, <laughs> but I'm sure. I know. It sounds like something that we need to do and, and to. would be almost like required reading for the horror comic genre, so... Definitely. We're going to get Let's to that. do it. Yes, Misty, I'm so glad you committed. So making Tara <laughs> happy, I'm sure she's rolling around wherever she is in South Africa. <laughs> With enjoy. So enjoy, Tara. We will get to that. So that's it for our feedback segment. And then, listeners, we're going to leave you with a bit of a, a funny bone. If you're up for that, Misty, do you have a couple of funny bones that you want to uh, touch on before we let the listeners go, go back to their doom and gloom? Give them a brief surge of happiness before the darkness engulfs them again. Oh, sure. I've got some terrible fish jokes for you guys. <laughs> Jenny Finn related. <laughs> I love it. Let's, yes. Let's go. Okay. Uh, let's see. What does the Loch Ness Monster eat? Whoa. Mm, <laughs> tourists? I don't know. <laughs> what, what does he uh, eat? Loch Ness Monster eats fish and ships. <laughs> <laughs> fish and ships <laughs> telling that doing that in a Sean Connery accent you know really works for me fish and ships that's that's pretty good what I've else I've also got a plague joke I could tell ah, <laughs> a plague joke it, yeah I'm sure our listeners by now are used to us you know being all inebriated while we're doing this podcast so they forgive us everything go ahead Misty <laughs> Which one to tell? Okay. What version of the Black Plague... What what version of the Red Death? Well, this is going to be a... Po- this goes back to the Poe episode. That's completely what, fine. 
<laughs> what version of the Red Death would hit an alcoholic? What version of the Red Death would hit an alcoholic? Um, the the virgin that's offended that he poured her while drunk. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I love your zealousness in answering. <laughs> um, I'm trying. The, <laughs> the bourbonic plague. <laughs> Plague in a glass, Burbon, bourbon, bourbonic plague. The, the bourbonic, the bourbonic plague. Bourbonic plague. Oh, brilliant! That's the kind of plague I see Jack Torrance drinking at the Overlook Hotel bar. What do you got for me this time? Bourbonic plague. <laughs> red rum, red rum. <laughs> okay, we'll Misty, do, that's we'll a do, classic. <laughs> Another one, please. Okay, we'll do one last one. What do what did people say when they caught the black plague? You know, my I'm being challenged here intellectually, but I'm just gonna give up. <laughs> I can't. I don't know. All oh, rats. <laughs> All rats. All <laughs> oh, rats. All oh, rats. <laughs> cause the rats, cause yes. they bite them and they give them the plague. Yeah. That's right. Although I think that's a myth, and actually it was later researched and it found out that it was more like fleas. Yeah, fleas. You yeah. know, like yeah. They got it from the rats. <laughs> they jumped to the humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant, Misty. No, I had a good laugh. I just, you know, because I'm I'm halfway through my Irish, my third Irish coffee here. You know, the laugh is now, you know, be, become some a bit cloudy and like, you know, am I adult? So did I get all the jokes? I hope I did, but they were they were fun. I just remembered one last one, actually. Okay, Go okay for it. what do you call what do you call a fish without eyes? Uh, is this one that I might get if I apply myself, or is it so out there? I I, I can also perhaps you might fish without, fish without eyes. eyes. Yes. Don't fish. think think about it like in, in a very literal sense or okay. in a phonetic sense. Um, a phonetic sense. Okay, a fish without eyes. Fish eye. Hmm. I give up. <laughs> I just don't have the the intellectual acumen at this point. You want me to say something? No, I, I, it'll sound dumb. Please don't make me sound dumb. No, you sound... It's a joke. The The, the whole thing about comedy is it's unexpected. A so steak. You... <laughs> is it a steak? No, but that's funny. <laughs> See, that's funny because it was unexpected. So, like, oh. if you if you knew the answer to the joke, it would be as funny because right. it would be expected. So the funny part is that it's unexpected. So when I say, "What do you call a fish without eyes?" the answer is a fish. Oh, that that goes perfectly with the Sean Connery comment earlier. It goes perfectly with our slurring right through this episode because. Of... Mm-hmm. Oh man, Misty, you brought the funny once again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I, I really love that. What a great way to end an episode. So listeners, this is the funny bone segment that covers part one and part two. You know, obviously, sadly, absent from the Poe episode, but, you know, because it was so lengthy and we had to go to bed and to work, we had to sort of cut that into two pieces. So I hope you enjoyed our extra long funny bone segment for part two of our apocalyptic disease episodes. Yes. So Misty, listen, let's quickly uh, round this off with where they can reach us um, online. I'm going to let you go first. Where can they find you? Where are you most active 
Um, you can find me on Twitter at Misty G Comics. Excellent. And you can find our show there as well. We're at Dark Longbox. And you can also check out our blog, which is www.longboxofdarkness.com. And any feedback, again, once again, please send that to darklongbox at gmail.com. All right, uh, Misty, that's uh, it. We're going to say goodbye now to our listeners. Creep you later. Unpleasant screams. (laughs) (laughs) Take care of yourself, listeners. Bye-bye.